So it is so great to see you. We are moving on in our lesson now. We were, uh, your notes will reflect lesson six. So this is video uh, 10 or 11 already, but this, your notes should reflect lesson six. We're moving into chapter eight and chapter nine, and Lord willing, we're going to get through all of it, I hope. Uh, there's just a lot here in these two small chapters, just a lot of stuff that we need to have. But before we get into our lesson tonight, there were a couple questions that were asked at the end of the lesson last week um, that I didn't, wasn't able to answer and I want to answer uh, tonight if you're uh, still maybe thinking about that or not. The one question was, where does it say that those who were martyred in the tribulation period will be killed by beheading? That was one of the questions. And the answer to that is Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. Revelation 20, verse 4 says, Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge has, was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or on their hands. They came to life and, regained, uh, and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So we see there that that one passage of scripture going back and reflecting through all of the tribulation period. Those who accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior will not receive the mark of the beast, will lose their lives because of salvation and will lose their lives by a way of uh, beheading there. Um, I don't know how they will do it, but there has been talk through uh, many years of the guillotine coming back and guillotines uh, being seen and spotted throughout different areas and stuff like that. So that's part of uh, that. So uh, those who are saved in the tribulation period and die because of their salvation die because of beheading. Uh, the second question, which is a more deeper question, um, I wasn't really going to get into, but the question was asked, and I want to give you uh, a, a good answer for this, and that was this. In, Re in Revelation chapter 7, when we went through it last week, we saw that um, Israel is going to be the primary group that is going to be uh, proclaiming the gospel uh, around the world. The church is raptured out and gone. This falls to Israel. The question was, is why was the tribe of Dan omitted from the 12 tribes that were there. And the person that asked the question, I, I answered them that night afterwards, but I wanted to give it to you in case you were wondering. And so all of the commentaries that I studied said exactly the same uh, thing on this, but I think Dr. John MacArthur puts it concise and gives a, a real good answer uh, to all of the questions that may be uh, in part of that, that section there because there's really three main questions that are given. So uh, John MacArthur says... Um, that uh, the specific tribal names in this list, there were 12 names given, 12 tribes of Israel, raised three interesting questions. Why is Judah listed first when Reuben was the firstborn? Why is the tribe of Dan omitted? And why is Ephraim omitted in favor of his father, Joseph? Well, Reuben uh, was not first, uh, and um, Judah was listed first because Reuben forfeited his birthright as punishment for his sexual misconduct with his father's concubine. We find that in 1 Chronicles 5.1. The omission of the tribe of Dan in favor of the priestly tribe Levi. So Levi was never listed in the 12 tribes. It is listed here in these 12. And the reason why it substitutes Dan is probably due uh, to the tribe's reputation of idolatry in Deuteronomy 29.18-21. While Dan will share in the millennial blessings, Ezekiel uh, tells us, the tribe will not be selected for this duty nor protected during the tribulation period. Uh, 
Similarly, the name Ephraim is omitted in favor of his father Joseph because Ephraim defected from the ruling house of Judah. So like Dan, Ephraim was consumed with idolatry and his brother Manasseh is included because uh, he was the faithful son of Joseph. So those are why those names were changed or not uh, with the, the, the normal 12 tribes and how that differed there. Um, and so just wanted to answer those questions and why those, those were there. If you were interested in that, um, in that um, is what those answers uh, are for you. So I wanted to make sure I went back because you asked those questions. Great questions. wanted to give you those answers. Today we're moving into chapter 8 of Revelation. So if you'll take out your new packet there, the first blank there is Revelation chapter uh, 8. And so if you remember in chapter 6 we went through the first six seals. Chapter 7 was a parenthetical chapter that gave us the players of uh, really answering the question who can stand and who was going to make it through the tribulation period, who would be saved in the tribulation period. The 144,000 Jews are sealed by God, protected in the tribulation period. They will preach the gospel and millions of people will be saved during the tribulation period. That's the great news. There will still be millions of people that will be saved through the tribulation period. Now we come back into the chronological order of the tribulation period. We pick up with chapter 8, and chapter 8 is the opening of the seventh seal. So your first blank there is the seventh seal, chapter 8, and then number one is the opening of the seventh seal. So I wanted to make it as confusing as possible and make you write in seventh seal twice, okay, on your notes there. So as we come to the seventh seal, we, uh, the seventh seal is special in that it contains, listen now, all the subsequent developments of the tribulation period leading up to the second coming of Christ. So to get the picture here, we have six seals that are open. Come to the seventh seal. The seventh seal opens up and within the seventh seal it contains the seven trumpet judgments and the seven bowl or vial judgments which play out the rest of the tribulation period. So when we come to the seventh seal, we are in the second half of the tribulation, what's known as the great tribulation period. Uh, the seal is open and when Jesus opens the seal, something amazing happens in heaven. And what happens that is so amazing is that there is complete silence in heaven. I mean, complete silence. Now, John has given us pictures of heaven, the throne room, all the way up to this. And we have seen that in the throne room and everything that's going on there, there's activity happening continually. Noise and activity, noise and activity. We have uh, the angels, that, uh, the four creatures around the throne continually worshiping God. We have the elders laying down and, and casting the crowns. We have the songs that are being sung. We have the thunder and the lightning that are uh, happening from the throne of God. We have all of this activity and all of this noise happening uh, all through while these six seals are going on everything is happening all this noise and happen happening Jesus now breaks the seal of the seventh seal and the Bible tells us that immediate silence happens why does the silence happen the silence happens because of the astonishment and the magnitude of what this seal is going to reveal Everything stops. The creatures stop worshiping. The elders stop laying their crowns. The songs are stopped. The praises stop for a span of 30 minutes. 30 minutes of complete silence and awe uh, and, and just completely at awe of what is going to be revealed, how big this is. So 
this is going to be the theme, and this is the theme of Revelation all the way through this. You're going to hear me say this over and over again, and the, until we get to the end of the tribulation period, it's going to keep coming up, keep coming up, and here's what's going to keep coming up. You ain't seen nothing yet. I'm telling you. We've already gone through six seals, and our mind is already reeling at what happened with that. We're opening the seventh seal, and you ain't seen nothing yet. You thought it was bad all the way through the first three and a half years up to where we are in the, in the last three and a half years. Multiply that by 100, and the next time multiply that by 100, and the next time multiply that by 100. It is going to be a mess. It is going to be intense. It is going to be huge. So 30 minutes of them in awe, uh, just absolutely silent uh, at what's happening uh, in the upper, uh, in the throne room there when he breaks that seal. And so when he breaks the seal, what happens there? And let's look at that at verse number one. That's what speaks about that in chapter eight, verse one. When the lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Now, is that a real half an hour? Is it really 30 minutes? Does someone have a watch? I don't know. The point is, though, is that it was an extended period of time uh, there. 30 minutes of awe is, is pretty, pretty long. There's no reason why we shouldn't think that it's 30 minutes. But it was significant. It was seen. It was understood as this is a huge deal. And then we see your next blank there, number two, the seven angels. On page two, uh, top of the page, number two, the seven angels. Silence is broken after 30 minutes and a group of seven angels stand before God's throne. Let's read about that in verse two. He, John speaking, then I saw the seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with the golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. And then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peelings of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. So we see here that 30 minutes of silence... And then these seven angels, just a group of seven angels, come. They line up before the throne of God. God gives them seven trumpets. Now, trumpets are very significant uh, for Israel, significant in the uh, Old and New Testament. They announced almost every important occasion that took place. And these trumpets are going to do the same thing. They are going to announce now the seven more judgments that will be placed upon the earth. Verse 3 tells us another angel. Now, some have confused this on who is this other angel, could this be Christ? It's not Christ because Christ is, again, opening the seal. The word another there is very important. It means another of exactly the same. So basically, you don't think of this angel as any different than the seven angels that were there. This is the eighth angel, if you would. And the eighth angel comes now uh, before the altar of incense in the temple. Uh, the purpose why he's there is for worship. This is to worship God. This is a beautiful picture of worship to God as he takes the incense. Now, this parallels the Old Testament altar that was there. They would burn incense on the, on the altar, their prayers of the people and stuff like that. This also is our prayers, the prayers of the saints and the incense there that are given as an, a sweet savor uh, to the Lord. We saw that the incense, uh, the altar of incense was there before the Holy of Holies was there for worship. The incense is mixed with the prayers of the saints and is a picture of perfect praise and worship. So we see here this angel. Now these seven angels are standing there with their trumpets. 
And in a ceremonial way, uh, this angel takes the prayers of the saints and the incense and burns that there. And then something very interesting happens. Um, the incense there, uh, which is used for praising and worship and, and all of that, now becomes a symbol of divine wrath as the angel takes the censer with the incense and throws it at the earth. And when he does that, we have sounds of thunder, flashes of lightning, and then another earthquake takes place. Have you seen the theme of earthquakes, <laughs> right? Uh, I mean, we had a huge earthquake last week that we talked about there and all that came of that. Now we have another. And again, the earthquake symbols the power of God. Uh, and I want to stress to you again this point. And I want this to be a positive thing for you because, can I be honest with you? A lot of what I have tonight is not positive, <laughs> okay? So hold on to some of these positive things. And the positive thing is this. The fact of the earth quaking because of what God does shows the awesome power of our God, all right? Our God is powerful, and for those of us that know Him as Lord and Savior, for those of us who are saved, uh, that means His power is for us, not against us, okay? And so, again, everything that we face in our life, everything that happens, we know we have a mighty God. We have a God that just by the touch of His finger can shake the entire world, right? How much more could He be uh, there for us and take care of us when we need Him? But this scene here, the angel throws the censer. We have the sounds of thunder, flashes of lightning, uh, and an earthquake. Again, the thunder and the flashes of lightning are the precursor to a huge storm coming. Remember, the thunder happens, the lightning happens before the storm takes place. And now he's setting this up that this is going to be a big, big deal. So now we move into the seven trumpet judgments that are poured out on the earth. And so let's look at, the, at what the Bible says here in verse number 7, verse 6 and 7, excuse me. Verse 6 says, Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. And verse 7, The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. And these were thrown upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. So your blank there for number three is the first trumpet. The first angel blows his trumpet and immediately hail and fire mingled with blood is cast to the earth. Now how does this happen? What, what, what takes place here? Well certainly, without question, God himself can send hail, mingle with blood and fire and cast it on the earth. No problem whatsoever. But from a purely scientific view okay so i'm giving you a purely scientific view here these things could also be answered by way of what's happening on the earth again an earthquake takes place with earthquakes comes volcanic activity comes also ash in the air and and all of that 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 kind of stuff um and so the earthquake would cause like i said uh Volcanic activity, ash in the air, atmospheric disturbances which could cause hail, different storms could take place. John could be using a descriptive language here when he talks about the blood, that could be lava that would be um, in that. So it, the, it could be these types of things that he's seeing as well. God is still in control and still in the midst of this no matter what, whether he caused the earthquake and these things to happen as we've seen in the, uh, in the past, or whether he's making this happen no matter what by his own hand, we see what happens. And of course there, don't get too concerned with it being mingled with blood because the end result is these hailstones uh, with fire can fall down and if they hit you, guess what? 
it's mingled with blood, <laughs> right? Okay, kill you, and, and blood would be uh, all over, and that's what's going to happen. Now, I'm not going to go into this, but as we go through the trumpets, you're going to see something very interesting about them. You're going to actually see a parallel between these trumpet judgments and the ten plagues of Egypt. There's going to be some similarities to them. So as you go through, think about that um, and, and look at that. Again, uh, uh, hail with fire was one of the plagues of Egypt that took place back in the Old Testament. So something interesting there. Now, what's interesting here is this judgment is on the vegetation of the earth. And it's devastating. The fire that, that is caused, the hail that falls all over the earth, the result is one-third of all the trees are burnt up. One-third of all of the trees on the earth are consumed by this global hail. And, and I mean, this is global. This isn't just an area. This is all over the earth. One-third of all of the earth is burnt. And all of the grass is burnt entire globe no you know the prairies everything everything's on fire now think about that think about this fire and how catastrophic it is remember just back you know a year ago or so uh, and we have it every year california fires right and and the big fires that and the destruction that happens with them and all the smoke that's in the air and all those things uh, that happen put that on a global level uh, of burning. And just think of the devastation. The fires would be widespread, homes would be destroyed, co- crops would be consumed, animals would be killed on a massive level, building materials would be absolutely gone, especially wood. You think wood's uh, expensive now? Wait till it's all burned up, <laughs> right? Couldn't rebuild, couldn't fix things up, couldn't do anything because all of this is happening. And so the the hail and the, and the fire and the blood and all that stuff taking place there uh, in this first trumpet wipes out most of the vegetation on the earth. Think about how devastating it would be for one-third of all the trees on the earth to be gone. Just think about, possi- you know, uh, um, I mean, there's a lot of trees on the earth. Don't misunderstand me. Two-thirds left is still quite a bit. But I wonder if that would even have, I'm just wondering, talking out loud here, I wonder if that even have any complications on oxygen right? I mean, just, just a thought uh, there and stuff like that. Uh, so it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty wild. So that's the first trumpet. Vegetation is, is taken out. Grass is burnt. Trees are gone. Uh, animals are killed. Uh, people are killed. People are killed in, in fires like this all the time, you know. Uh, property is destroyed. Property is gone. Now, right after this, now you have to understand, we are in the last part of the tribulation period. We're probably maybe even a year in. So let's say, let's say we are a year in to the second half of the tribulation period and the trumpet, uh, trumpet judgments happen. We still have 14 more judgments that have to take place in only two and a half years. And these aren't little things. These are big, big things that you need time to work through and to get through. And time is So you have to understand that right on the heels of this trumpet judgment, this first one, God says blow the second one. And we're right into the second trumpet, verses 8 and 9. So number 4 is the second trumpet. And the second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. So we have the first trumpet, that takes out all the vegetation, you know, one-third of the trees and the grass and stuff like that, crops and all of that there. Now we have a judgment on the seas. 
and so a huge object falling from the sky. He, John refers to it as something like a great mountain burning with fire. What would this, what would this or could this be? Well, the best explanation is that this is probably a meteorite or an asteroid that hits the earth. Okay. How many of you know that we have been talking for years about the possibility of a meteor strike on our planet, right? They've made big movies about it. They've gone up and tried to drill into the meteor that's coming in and blow it up and all this kind of stuff and have all these defenses and shoot the rockets and all this kind of stuff there. Well, I want you to know that their predictions will come true. There will be, according to the word here, that some huge astronomical thing will happen. A meteor will hit the earth. Um, and John looks at it as a huge rock. And he, as it hits the atmosphere, it says it's a burning mountain. As it hits the atmosphere and streaks across the atmosphere, we know already that it would be on fire as it comes along. Um, and it impacts the sea. And wherever it hits in the sea, the oceans, uh, the, those bodies of waters there, one-third of the sea will become blood. It'll become blood as a result of one-third of the sea life being killed. It will create huge tsunamis, global tsunamis, that will wipe out one-third of all the ships of the sea, big, little, whatever, they would be, those tsunamis are, uh, you know, huge walls, and if a meteorite hits, you can't even imagine how large a tsunami would be to wipe them out. Uh, as I was looking at this even more today, studying it and stuff like that, I thought to myself, what would it look like for a big, huge military aircraft carrier to be upside down in the, o in the ocean? Uh, you think, well, that's impossible. Well, that's what's going to happen. That's what's going to happen. Uh, so getting out in the seas and, and all of that uh, stuff is going to uh, be happening. So we're only two trumpets in. One-third of all the trees and all the grass is burnt. One-third of all the sea life is dead. Uh, and the seas and the oceans will be uh, affected. All of them will be affected at some point, some way, as a result of this. And now we have the third trumpet. The third trumpet, number five, is the third trumpet. Verse 10, And the third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers on the springs of water. And the name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. Now, very interesting, as the angel blows the, the, the third trumpet here, just like the second trumpet, we see another meteorite coming in. Now, here's the thing. Uh, you know, we, th we think about one hitting the earth, and we think, well, that's, that, that's possible, but, but two hitting the earth? I don't know that this is necessarily a second asteroid or meteorite more than it is the, the debris, possibly, from the, bit, the, one, the first one that came. So think about it. It hits our atmosphere. Uh, there's usually little fragments that still come with it, maybe pretty big, whatever. I don't know. Maybe we, we pulled off the Armageddon movie and split it in two, right? I don't know, whatever that may be. But this other asteroid is coming in. And when it talks about the fact that it, it comes, uh, the star here, again, let me use the, give you the definition of star, can be any celestial body other than the sun or moon. The term, like a burning torch, is a picture of something hitting our atmosphere. And the torch also has the idea, listen now, of burning up. And that's what happens here. This 
other debris, this other chunk, if you will, whatever it is, hits our atmosphere and it burns up in the atmosphere, spraying down upon the rivers and the, the lakes and everything, okay, but really affecting the fresh water is what it talks about here um, and, and causes these problems. So where the first meteorite comes and hits, the second one burns up in the atmosphere, and they call this one wormwood because of what it, what it does to the water. So let me put it this way in the note there on page 4. The idea here is that the second trumpet, the largest piece of the asteroid hit the earth in the sea, while the third trumpet is the remaining smaller piece or pieces of the asteroid hitting the atmosphere. They streak across the sky, burn up in the atmosphere with the result of the radiation particles contaminating all the fresh water, rivers, and springs. Now... Does that fall only on fresh water? I mean, does it know just to go in fresh water and not in the oceans? No, I don't think that's really the point. I think the oceans are already devastated. You can't drink the ocean water anyways because of the salt and stuff like that. The point that's being made here is now the fresh water that we do have to drink, that we could drink now, is contaminated with these particles of radiation more than likely. Um, that have come in. That's why he calls wormwood. Now, wormwood is a shrub whose leaves are used in the manufacturing of absinthe. I can't say that word, but it's an alcohol. All right, it's a liquor. Okay, it's a very toxic liquor uh, that has been banned in many, many countries. But I thought this also would be an interesting point for you as well. I don't know if you know this or not, but the word Chernobyl. Remember in Russia, the Chernobyl nuclear plant. Uh, the word Chernobyl literally means wormwood. That's the definition of it. Uh, and so we saw that with Chernobyl, uh, that everything was dead because of the, the radiation of the nuclear plant that took place here and, and made it uh, bad. In the Old Testament, we, we see the word wormwood used, again, to talking about waters that are bitter, unable to drink, that are poisonous and stuff like that. So that's the idea here with this. And the idea is that one-third of all of the fresh water now is contaminated, and if drank is lethal. So you want to, during this time, if you want a nice cool sip from a mountain stream, you better think twice, <laughs> right? Uh, and and one-third of all of the drinking water uh, there is um, used up. And those that drink it will die. Many will die. Rivers will run with poison. Well springs will, well, wells will spring with death. Lakes will be reservoirs of toxic water. And so we have now come through simply three judgments, three trumpet judgments. A third of all the vegetation is burnt up, a third of all the seas are no good, and a third of all the fresh water is unusable. All right. How many of you know that's going to be a problem? Right? I don't know of anything that you can drink that doesn't use water in it, right? I mean, I, I, do you use water for al baking alcohol or drinks? I mean, I don't know of anything. I mean, so if one-third of all of the fresh water, I mean, you know, I understand they have ways of distilling and all this, you know, but just, man, with all the calamities that are going on, J.B. Smith in his commentary wrote this. He said, it is, it is of considerable interest to note the progress one-third of the trees and grass, one-third of the marine life and shipping, one-third of the waters, one-third of the heavenly bodies. Food is destroyed, distribution is crippled, water supply is limited, production is hampered. 
life is going to come to a standstill. It's going to be very difficult to be living in this day and age. Now, I want to point out something that maybe you're already thinking about here, but I want to point out why it's so significant. All right, I want to stress to you that these are not simple, natural occurrences. You say, well, all that stuff could happen just because it could happen, right? But Scripture is extremely specific here using the term one-third. How do we know one-third? How do we know if the meteorite's going to hit, that it's one-third? How do we know if this is going to happen, it's going to be one-third? Because God is in control, and God makes sure that it doesn't go over one-third, right? Why? Because he, even in His grace, this is amazing, even in, his gra- even in the midst of His wrath, His grace says, I'm only going to wipe out one-third. I'm not going to take it all. I can take it all. I can, I can wipe out all of it. I can take out all the trees, all the vegetation, all the life, take out all the sea life, take away all the water. What would happen? The entire population of the earth would die. But even in his wrath, he, it, is, it is tempered in that it only affects one-third. Now, everybody will be affected by this. Everybody will, will deal with this. But the end result of one-third, one-third, one-third means that the whole population won't be wiped out. Do you see? All right. Again, these are not just natural occurring events. These are uh, events that God is in complete control. These are His judgments. And you ain't seen nothing yet, right? Any questions up to this point? Does it make sense? You understand what's happening here? Trumpet four. So we've gotten the earth. The, the, the vegetation, we've gotten the oceans taken care of, we've gotten the fresh water taken care of, where do we need to go next? Well, let's go to the sky, and let's take care of it, okay? Trumpet 4, verse number 12, number 6 is trumpet 4, there you go, number 12. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. Could you imagine what it would be like for one-third of the entire day to be pitch black? One-third of the entire day to just go completely black, everything taken away. That's what he says will happen here. The sun will be darkened, the moon will be darkened, the stars will be darkened for a third of the day, a complete, total eclipse of all light for one-third of the day. I remember one of the things that was so astonishing to me was when I first moved up to North Dakota. And I had a farmer friend that uh, needed help with, with getting his crops and stuff like that. And when, you know, you only have a short window of time to get your crops before all the snow flies and all that stuff, stuff like that. So we were out in his field at 2 o'clock in the morning while he was in his combine, combining his soybeans to get them out. I was sitting in the truck that he would put, them, put the soybeans in that I would run back to his farm and put them in the silo and back and all that kind of stuff. However, here's something that's really, really interesting about North Dakota. There's not a lot of light at night. We were out in the country, we were out in Nowheresville. There's not, you couldn't see city lights, you couldn't see street lights, you couldn't see, I, I turned off the lights in the cab and everything that I was doing just to do a little sample. I put my hand this close to my face, I couldn't see it. I could feel my breath on it, I couldn't see it. That's how pitch black it was. All the light was gone, there, there were no stars, it was a cloudy, cloudy night, there were no stars, there was no moon, there was no light, no nothing uh, there. Uh, and so that's the picture of what's being 
uh, taken care of here. This would have tremendous effect on everything. Think about it. A third of the day where the sun uh, uh, isn't shining. You know what we miss when we miss the sunshine and stuff? The heat. Temperatures would plummet and would, would be crazy. Uh, greatly disturbance of the weather patterns would happen all over the earth. Mess up the tidal waves because of the moon and all that stuff. All weather would become unpredictable. Violent storms, destruction of crops, overwhelming depression. Could you imagine? One third of your day is totally pitch black all day long. In the middle of the day, whatever it is. Uh, you know, further loss of animal and life. And so here we are through the four trumpet judgments up to this point, and every aspect of the earth has been judged. Vegetation, all of the water, all of the sky, everything there has been judged, and we are dealing with all of this. And so John stops here now, after the fourth trumpet, and sees a vision in verse number 13 and we'll call this number seven in your notes, the three woes. Now, this isn't Arthur Fonzarelli, just so that you know, okay? The three woes. Are you guys with me? I saw one of you chuckle, so anyways. That's as good as a good joke's gift. You, you know that already. Okay, number 13, verse 13. John says, Then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. This eagle said, Woe, woe. Woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. Remember our theme? John himself says, you ain't seen nothing yet. A third of the earth, the earth, the seas, the sky is all wiped out, is all gone black. Life is just Crazy people are dying. Depression is rampant. All of this stuff. You, you, you struggle to get your supplies. You struggle to live. All of this stuff is happening. And John says, listen, it's going to get worse. The eagle flies directly overhead and cries out with a loud voice this saying. He says this in view of the next three trumpets to come. The imagery here is that of a strong bird of prey rushing in to consume its victim. The picture of the eagle here, the vision that John sees, the eagle is symbolic there of the, of the warning to the people that are there. He's symbolic of the fact that, listen, it's going to get worse. And the angel, uh, the vision that he sees, the angel is yelling this out and saying this so that everyone would be able to see the eagle, everyone would be able to hear his warning, everyone on earth will know they are coming, and everyone on earth will know that they come from God. They will know. Now think of the intensity and despair of life at this point. Seven seal judgments have been opened. Four trumpet judgments have been blown. One third of everything on the earth and in the sky have been wiped out. And we see here that God's wrath and judgment is paused briefly just to simply give a warning to everyone that it is still going to get worse than what it is. So I have a question I want to ask you down at the bottom of this, right before we get into Revelation 9. Don't answer out loud, but you know the answer. Do you think that God takes sin seriously? This, the number one reason, the number one reason for the tribulation period is God's wrath poured out on sinful man. 
The byproduct of that is Israel will be saved uh, in this as well. But this is all because of the act of sin, of sinful man. Sin is not a little thing to God. Praise God for His grace. Praise God for His salvation. I get to this point all the time in my studies that I've studied this and I've taught this many times and read this and I've only to this point here and I still go to myself and go, man, we're not even done with the whole thing. I can't even imagine anybody truly believes the church is going to go through this. I don't want to. I don't have any comfort if we go through it, uh, you know, and uh, I don't believe the Bible teaches that. I may be wrong, but uh, I pray not because God's wrath has already been satisfied by Jesus Christ on the cross for me. So, I praise God for that. And for you, if you're saved today. That ends chapter 8. Any questions at this point? Steve. How are the people going to know that this is... Let's get to the end of chapter 9, and I'll show you exactly. Perfect. Great question. Okay, let's get to chapter 9 and we'll, we'll answer that question. How will every know, everybody know that this is God? Okay, chapter 9. Uh, so you're in big blank there is Revelation 9 there at the bottom of page 5. We're going to look at the, tr- continue on with the trumpets and woes. Chapter 9 simply just goes on with the trumpet judgments. Where the first four trumpets... Trumpet judgments affect the physical world, the physical universe. The fifth trumpet shifts the focus to the spiritual realm. Now, these next two judgments we're going to look at, and if we have time to get through all of them, we will, but um, uh, completely move over into the spiritual realm. Things happen on the earth as a result of it, but it's all done by supernatural acts, supernatural events, and I, I want you to understand that. So let's jump into the fifth trumpet. All right, the fifth trumpet is blown. This trumpet is also known as the first woe. And let's begin in verses one and two, chapter nine. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star uh, fallen from heaven. Now, look at the word "fallen" there. Let me point this out: it's not falling; it is already fallen. I want you to see a star fallen from heaven to earth. And he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit. And from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Let's pause there for a moment. Now, throughout the book of Revelation, we have seen this word star used up to this point in two different ways. If you remember in chapter 1, the word star was in reference to the messenger of the church or the pastors of the church. And the passage of Scripture told us specifically in chapter 1, the seven stars in the hands of, of Jesus were the seven angels to the seven churches, the seven messengers. Those were the pastors of the church. The last two places in chapter 6 and chapter 8, we saw this in the context of celestial bodies falling to the earth. Anything that's not the sun or the moon, we talked about it being uh, rocks from volcanoes and, and, and the asteroids there. Now there's a third meaning uh, to the term star here. And it's very interesting that you need to see here the personal pronouns that are given to this word star. It lets us know that it's not an object, it's a person. Okay, So he says the star fallen from heaven, from heaven to the earth and he or him. So we see him re- referred to as him. This suggests a person rather than an inanimate object. And further, This star is holding in his hands the keys to the bottomless pit. 
Since he comes from heaven to the earth, this would reference an angelic being, and he is also referred to as having fallen to the earth, past tense, fallen. He's not falling, he has fallen, okay? And since he has fallen, that last term gives us the identity of who this angelic being is. It is none other than Satan, all right? Satan has fallen to the earth. Now, there's some things I need to clarify here, so I need you to really listen to me because this is going to parallel with chapter 12 when we get there, okay? Number one, this is not referring to the original fall of Satan, when Satan fell at the beginning of creation, he sinned, uh, pride was found in him, he was cast out of heaven, and a third of the angels were cast out of heaven with him. This is not referring to that. This is referring to him being kicked out of heaven during the tribulation period. Well, how in the world can he be kicked out of heaven during the tribulation period if he was kicked out of heaven at the beginning of creation? You ready? Where is Satan today? Satan has been kicked out of heaven as the angel that covered, as the angel there in his position. But Satan has been allowed from the beginning of creation until through the end of time, until we get to this point in the tribulation period, Satan has been allowed to be in the presence of God to come to heaven. As a matter of fact, Satan probably spends all of his time in heaven right now. I don't believe he's necessarily on the earth. He can come back to the earth. He is certainly not in hell. Because hell is a place of punishment for the devil. Do you recognize and realize that Satan is not the ruler of hell? God is. God's the ruler of hell. Hell is a place of punishment and torment to, the angel, to, to Satan and his angels. God is the ruler of, of hell. And the wrath, his wrath be poured out on sinful man and on them for all of eternity. Satan is not in hell. He may at times be here on the earth, but more than likely not. Um, the only time that we see in Scripture is in the book of Job, Job chapter 1, that, that uh, Satan was roaming the earth and the sons of God were called into the presence of God and Satan was among them. Job tells us that in Job chapter number 1. Um, but the Bible tells us that Satan's number one activity, number one task right now is to be the accuser of the brethren. Satan stands in heaven continually annoying God by saying, look at how bad your, uh, your, friend, your, your child is. Look how bad Mike is. Look at how he messes up. Look at what he does. I can't believe you've called him to be a pastor. I can't believe. He just stands before God and he accuses the brethren. And he's there. And when we get to chapter 12, it's, it's humorous when we, when we read that. So what happens here is in this time of the tribulation period, God has enough, which is great. It's part of the tribulation period. Satan is allowed to have freedom on the, during the tribulation period to do what he wants to do. God says, I've had enough of listening to you. He kicks him out of heaven for good, locks the door. Satan is never allowed to come back and accuse the brethren again. Okay? We see that all in chapter 12. So we will be, when we get to chapter 12, we will look at this much deeper. I'm just giving you the overview right now. When Satan is kicked out, then he is on the earth. He's free to do what he wants to do here on the earth uh, during the tribulation period to make things 10 times worse. Um, if you want to, you can go to chapter 12 and read it um, on your time, but we will explain it more there. So what is happening here? Because what happens here is now we're, we're in the chronological order of, what, of the events that are taking place. When we get past uh, into chapter 12, chapter 12 goes back through the tribulation period, 12 through 19, and gives us the main characters of the tribulation period. So you get the tribulation period twice in, from two different perspectives as you go through the book of Revelation uh, there. So... 
Here at this point, at the fifth trumpet, Satan is kicked out of heaven. He has been given by Christ the keys of the bottomless pit. And he is allowed now to go open the door to the bottomless pit. But what is the bottomless pit? Another word for the bottomless pit is the abyss. Maybe you've heard that terminology. You remember in Luke chapter 16, uh, there the, the parable that's given of Lazarus and the rich man. And the, the rich man looks into Abraham's bosom there and says, uh, send Lazarus. And he says, Lazarus can't come because there's a gulf fix. That's the abyss that is, that is given there. In um, Luke chapter 8, if you remember, uh, uh, there's a man full of demons the name of the demons was Legion, remember? And Jesus cast them out of this man and, and sent them into a bunch of swine because they begged him, don't send us to the abyss. Don't put us there. The abyss is a special holding place for horrible, if you can even, I don't know how you qualify that, horrible demons that go above and beyond being evil that God sends them to the abyss to leave them there for punishment. So, I mean, how evil is evil? That's pretty evil, right? And then you've got a demon that goes above and beyond that evil, and then God says you go to the abyss uh, there. Um, we see this happening with the angels that are in, in Job there, that they are sent to this. So this is a special holding place, the bottomless pit. This will be the eventual holding place of Satan for a thousand years. He's cast into the bottomless pit for a thousand years as we study this in Revelation. That's in the future, okay? Uh, there, so we'll talk about that when we get to that. He's given these keys, and he's able to open the door, and when he opens the door, a huge plume of smoke comes out, so big that again it darkens the sun, and out of them, out of this pit, comes some amazing creatures. Okay, so Satan has come down, he's opened the bottomless pit, the smoke has come out, and we're going to pick up from there. Any questions at this point? Is that, you understand where we're at? Some of you are going, my head's spinning. <laughs> he is. But he can dwell with God because he is given that, allowed to be able to do that as the accuser of the brethren. So he is, he is there accusing the brethren there. Um, let me see here. Turn to, just, just turn to Revelation chapter 12. Let's see here. Um, I, can't, I can't find it right now that I'm looking for it quickly. Let's pick, we'll pick that up when we get to, to Revelation chapter 12, okay? I promise you. But Satan is there. He's the accuser of the brethren. He gets kicked out. And all of heaven rejoices and, and has a party because the accuser is gone. So go back and read chapter 12 uh, for yourself. We'll get there um, on that as well, okay? So he's at the bottomless pit. He's opening the door. A plume of smoke comes out. Let's pick up in verse number 3 here. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth. 
And they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth, nor the green plant, nor any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their forehead. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. Sign me up. Sound good? No way, man. Now, I want to stress to you, these are demonic beings that come from the bottomless pit, that take physical form, and John is describing what they look like. I want to stress to you, because I've heard this many, many times, maybe you've heard this as well, John is not describing any type of future military vehicle or helicopter or anything along those lines. He is not giving a description of any of that stuff. And we'll see that even a little bit more as we go on. John is not trying to describe a military helicopter, but describes it as he does because he has never seen a military helicopter. He doesn't describe it that way because he's never seen this machine. But up until this point, John has accurately described to the best of his ability exactly what he has seen. There's no difference here. What he describes is what he sees, and what he sees are demonic beings who are able to take on any physical form they need so that they can accomplish their tasks. So John describes these demons and what they look like. They resemble locusts, a grasshopper-like looking thing. And basically he's talking about the wings. And, he's, and more than that, he's referring to the fact that uh, if you look at a swarm of locusts, he's talking about the, the magnitude of number of these things. Um, there's a huge swarm of demons uh, that are coming out of the abyss. And all they, although they look like locusts, they do not act like locusts. Because what do locusts do? As we understand, they eat vegetation. They wipe out crops. One swarm of uh, locusts can take out many, many, many miles of, of crops and, and, and stuff like that. All right? These demons, listen, are not allowed to damage any vegetation. Who tells these demons that they cannot damage any vegetation? God does. Don't forget that. God is in control. This is his judgment. Even though he allows Satan to open the abyss, even though he allows these demons to, be, to come out and to do what they're going to do, they can only do what God tells them they can do. That's the power of our God. Interestingly here, we see specifically the protection of those who are sealed by God. Specifically says, you are to attack every other person on the globe, except those whom I have sealed with my seal. We taught, remember, the 144,000 that were sealed by God to uh, present the gospel were protected. What is the task of these demons? Their, their task is to torture those who were not sealed by God. These demons, although they looked like locusts, had a tail of a scorpion, and they tacked in the tortured people. They stung them with this tail, is what they did, and, it, you know, so as a scorpion would sting you, the poison and the pain that all goes with that, the sickness and all that goes with it. But this is a magnitude a hundred times fold of what it would be like if a scorpion actually stung you. And the sickness and pain would be excruciating that they actually are in so much pain that they beg for death. But God will not allow them to die. Death has fleed. 
So the scorpion will make you sick, it will make you unto death, it will make you in so much pain, uh, so much sorrow that you're crying out to die and, because the pain is so great and, and, and you, your body is being eaten up and all of this is happening, but yet in the end you still live there, okay? Now, there's a silver lining in this. You want to know what it is? It only lasts for five months. <laughs> Great silver lining, isn't there? Only five months this happens. So, you know, I don't know if the, the attack goes for five months or the, or the pain goes for five months or however it goes, but, but basically uh, everyone who is not sealed is going to uh, be um, hurt by this demonic horde. In verse 7 through 11, John gives us a much deeper, detailed description of these demons. Then he says in verse 7, says, in appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. So the picture here, let me just say this, horses, he's not saying the locust body looked like horses. It looked like they were lined up as a, as a military advance, you know, in different uh, groupings of horses ready to go into battle here, okay? Uh, on their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces, their hair like women's hair, their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails that sting like scorpions and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have a king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon and in Greek he is called Apollyon. Let's pause there. Okay. So John gives us these uh, descriptions of these demons. Again, I put in the notes here, I want to stress to you, these are demonic hordes. These are not John trying to describe future mechanical things, all right? Um, and this is why I believe we're not in the tribulation period now, because we don't have anything like these things flying around and doing this kind of stuff uh, today, do we? So, although many of the judgments deal with phys the physical world, uh, it is all spiritually driven. The tribulation, the tribulation of today are driven by man. The tribulation of the tribulation period is driven by God as we see this. These demons are like horses prepared for battle. Each demon had a golden crown. This golden crown is a picture of victory. It's a, a victor's crown like we've seen in the, uh, in the first seal with the Antichrist. Remember he had the victor's crown. He was going to be victorious no matter what. What this talks about here is that they have this victor's crown. They cannot be defeated. They cannot be hurt. They cannot be killed. The, not, you can do nothing to these demons. They will be victorious. You can fight them all you want. You can shoot them all you want. You can blow them up all you want. And they they will not die. They will not be hurt. They will not be harmed. They will have freedom to run over the earth and committing this torments and this torture um, on people. Their faces are like men, and the picture of this is that they're rational beings. They're not instinctive like insects. They're able to rationalize and to think and to talk and to make complex plans. Okay? Their hair this is the only part of them that I'm jealous about, as long as women's. They have nice, big, flowing, I don't know why they get nice, big, flowing hair, but they got nice, flowing hair, all this stuff, whatever, they get that. So, anyways, 
They have teeth like lion's teeth, meaning talking about their fierceness and their power. They were dressed for war with metal breastplates. They had wings, uh, and the wings sounded like mighty chariots because of the number of them. They had tails like scorpions, and their sole mission, their only mission, is to hurt people. That's what they do. This is your task. This is what you do for the next five months. You go out, you find anybody who's not sealed by God, and you sting them with your stinger, and you make them sick, and you make them hurt to the point where they want to die, and they're not going to die. Now, let me make a point here as well. Remember, we talked about many, many people who are going to be saved in the tribulation period, okay? And most of those people are going to immediately die because of the fact that they're saved. But there are going to be people who are going to be saved that are going to go through the tribulation period and, and make it through, okay, at different points and stuff before they're captured or whatever it may be. I want you to understand that just because a person accepts Jesus in the tribulation period does not spare them from the wrath of the tribulation period. So this is saved people, this is lost people, it doesn't matter. The only people that are spared from this are those that are sealed by God, the 144,000 that are there. If you're going through the tribulation period and you get saved in the tribulation period, praise God that you get saved in the tribulation period, but you will face the wrath of the tribulation period until you lose your head. Do you understand? So if you're not saved, get saved now, don't wait till the tribulation period, I promise you will be happier, okay? Uh, there. And then he says here that these demons have a king over them. Well, when you read that, you would think, of course, their king would be Satan. Satan would be king. But listen, as I've already said, Satan has had nothing to do with the bottomless pit. Um, he has not been in the bottomless pit. This is a reference to a, a, a demon that has come out of the bottomless pit with these demons. So it's not necessarily a king or a ruler. Satan is over this hierarchy there. This is a high-ruling demon that is over them that is going to move these troops around the world and send them out to do it. The Hebrew name is Abaddon. The Greek name is Apollyon. This name name literally means the destroyer and John gives both names again to emphasize what I just said this demon's impact will be on both the Jews and the Gentiles nobody escapes this if you are alive at this time during the fifth trumpet and you are not one of the 144,000, you will be stung by one of these demons you will get this sickness you will get you will not escape you cannot hide, you will not escape. You will endure this torment, this torture globally throughout this time is, what, is the whole point of this, okay? And John says in verse number 12 here, at the end, no, verse number 13, no, excuse me, I'm sorry, verse 12. Are you with me? It says verse 12, 12. The first woe has passed. I love this. The first woe has passed. Behold! There's still two more. <laughs> That's why you got to find the humor somewhere, right? I mean, there's still two more woes to go. The sixth and the seventh trumpet there, okay? Any questions on this fifth trumpet? All right. We are right at the tipping point of our time. You tell me, do you want the sixth trumpet or do you want to wait till next week? Are you, are you, is your head swimming too much that you want to quit or do you want to jump into the sixth trumpet real quick and get through the end of chapter 9? What are you up for? Okay, I got the yeses that were louder than you, than you that are too exhausted to say no. <laughs> All right, number two, the sixth trumpet, verses 13 
through 19. Let me read through it, and then we will uh, go through it real quick. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of the mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I'll give you a hint. That's 200 million. Okay, just so you know. Don't do the math. 200 million. I heard their number. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode on them. They wore breastplates of the color of fire and of sapphire and of sulfur. The heads of the horses were like lions' heads. The fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed. By the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses um, is in their mouths and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents with heads. And by means of them they wounded. That's a freaky horse. The sixth trumpet is blowing. John hears a voice say to him, Release the four angels bound at the river Euphrates. These are, these are different angels than all that we have talked about. These are uh, actually demons. They are not angels because of the fact that angels in heaven do and obey what God wants them to do, so there's no need for them to be bound. These four angels have been bound. And it's extremely interesting here that these four angels have been bound for this hour, this day, and this month. Again, God is in such control that He knows exactly when everything is going to happen and these demons will not be released until it is their exact time to be released. First of all, once we see the golden altar here, this will be the last time we see the golden altar mentioned there. And if you remember that the fifth seal we saw there that the martyred saints were underneath this altar, they were asking for judgment to be put upon those who mur murdered them in the tribulation period. This trumpet fulfills a little bit of that because this is a going out and they're one-third of all of mankind now is going to be killed by this army as a result of them not following God, those who killed them and stuff like that. Of course, the ultimate completion of uh, this is reserved for the great white throne judgment. These four angels are a unique group. Their identity is not given, but they are demons, and they're de uh, bound for this speci specific task. And the whole purpose now for them is simply to kill. All you got to do, go out, and kill. That's your only task. That's all you do. All right. John tells us that they have been prepared for the hour, the day, the month. Again, as I have already said, it just shows God's control over all of this. Now, remember, in our last trumpet, in the fifth trumpet, they were sick. They were stung by the scorpions. But what did they not do? They could not die. In the sixth trumpet. Death comes back with a vengeance, and all it's about is death. All it's about is killing. Uh, those who are sealed by God are still saved. They cannot be killed. But this demonic army is told just to go across the earth, and I want you to kill one-third of the earth's population. Now again, the one-third is specific. Why is it specific? Because they cannot kill one person over one-third of the population. Whatever that number is, whatever it is, they cannot do it. God will not allow them to do it. Okay? 
All right. There won't even be an oops, I accidentally slashed him, and then he's one over. No, God is in complete control over all of this. But think about this for a moment. If you recall that the fourth seal, one-fourth of all of the earth's population is killed. Now in this judgment, one-third of the earth's population is killed. Just in these two judgments, over half of the earth's population has been killed, not including those who have died in the other judgments just because of the simple judgments themselves. Population is dwindling quite fast, if you will. Just amazing, you know. To give you a, a, a bonus, maybe a, a plus, if you're going to go through the tribulation period, become a funeral director. Okay? You're going to make money. I promise you. There are going to be so many people that have died in these judgments that they'll not be able to bury the dead. You're talking about mass graves, bodies laying everywhere. P- people, all, I mean, it, it's just going to be uh, ridiculous. John sees this huge army. We know that it is exactly 200 million strong because John hears the word, hears the number. He's not estimating. He's not looking over the group saying, I think that's who it is. He knows exactly that there's 200 million. Now, some have said that this is probably or could be a physical army. Uh, History tells us that back in the 70s, China was able to muster a 200 million army. A number army of men. However, the description that is giving here, and since these trumpets are spiritual in nature, this is a demonic group. This is not um, a group uh, of physical people. And because they go over the entire globe, you cannot get a whole army of 200 million people moved around globally to do what they're going to do that way. Uh, this is a uh, demonic army as well. John describes this army. The soldier, the soldiers wore breastplates of many colors. The colors are so interesting. Fire, which is red. Sapphire, which is a dark blue or a black-like, smoke-like color. Sulfur, which is yellow. Do you know what all of those colors represent? Hell. Those are the colors of hell. Fire, sapphire, the dark blue, the dark black, and the yellow sulfur that is there. Um, The horses' heads are like lion's heads. Out of their mouth comes fire, smoke, and sulfur. Well, we understand what fire does. We understand what smoke does. Sulfur, if you don't know, if you've never smelled it, when you take sulfur and you burn it uh, there, and hopefully, no, I won't go into that, never mind, the reason why you would burn sulfur. Anyways, Um, so you would burn this, and the fact of the matter is it puts off a gas that if you just inhale that gas is toxic. It will kill you from that. So the way that this army is going to go out and to kill a third of the people, (laughs) it's kind of funny, um, is the fact that the the horse breathes on them (laughs) and they die. Uh, That's what it is. He'll breathe fire on them or, you know, the sulfur and kill them. They'll just breathe on them, Um, which is, I've been around a horse's mouth, haven't you? Smells pretty bad. (laughs) So um, there. Uh, But supernaturally, they'll be able to do this. They will kill one-third of the earth. The fire and the smoke and the sulfur will kill them. And the tails are made up of snakes. Snake heads coming off, and they will be biting and and maiming. But the snakes don't kill them. They wound them. They stop them. Uh, But basically, uh, those things kill them there. And because of that, we see this as a demonic army again. Now... The question was asked earlier, and we're going to answer it right now. How do these people know that this is the wrath of God? And what will be their response? So your last blank there is number three, man's response. Look at what it says here in verses 20 and 21. And this is astounding. 
This shows you the heart of man. The rest of mankind who were not killed by this plague. So those that are alive that have come all the way to this point. They did not repent of their works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols and gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. They experienced all of this. They recognize that all of these things are supernatural. They recognize they've seen the demons. They've experienced the demons. They've seen the supernatural. They recognize that this is otherworldly. This is outside of them. They recognize that God is doing this. You remember back in the sixth seal that when the, the earthquake happened and God touched the earth and they cried out for the rocks to call out for them because they know this judgment came from the Lamb. They know, they know that God is doing this. They know that God is pouring this out. They know this is supernatural and their hearts are so hardened that they don't turn to God. Now, I want to share this with you because this is a picture of hell. I want you to get this, okay? You say, well, why is hell eternal? And I'll tell you why hell is eternal. Because the people in hell never stop sinning. Do you realize that? The person in hell that goes to hell doesn't get remorse, doesn't, isn't uh, repentant of their sin, isn't repentant in re- receiving the wrath of God and upset about that. They are angry at God. They are continually cussing out God. They are continually uh, mad at Him, just like this. They know all of this stuff has come from God, and they shake their fist in the face of God going, how dare you do this to me? That's what they're doing. And every person that is in hell is doing the exact same thing for all of eternity. All of grace is gone. All of love is gone. The heart of man is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? And left to itself, this is the result. This is the result. God's wrath being poured out. Justice paid for sin. Listen. God has every single right to do everything He is doing here because He is holy and just. We are the ones that have sinned. He has not. He sent His Son by grace so that we can escape this and escape the wrath of hell. He doesn't want us to go through this, but this is the right and proper and complete and holy and righteous justice of God. This is not unfair. Do you understand that? This is just and holy and right and God has every right to do this and God has every right for the punishment of what hell is going to be like and because God knows what this is going to be, He has made a way. He is the one that made the way. He said, I don't want you to endure this. I don't want the world to endure this. I don't want anyone to go through the tribulation period, let alone go to hell. So I enrolled myself in human flesh. I went to the cross. I paid for your sins. I paid the price. All I ask you to do is to repent and come and follow me, and you have heaven, and you escape all of it. You see? But we see the wickedness in the heart of man. That's why when we try to present the gospel, we see people going, I don't need it. I don't believe in it. I'm not going to accept it. Forget it. And then when things go bad, oh God, you're a horrible God. Why do bad things happen in this world? Because God's a hateful God. He's a mean God. He's a horrible God. No. We know that's not true. Because of man's sin, evil happens in the world. 
there. So that takes us all the way through the six trumpets. And guess what? You ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> Our time is up. Any questions real quick? Steve, you got me preaching again, brother. Thank you. <laughs> Pat, Patty? We did. Revelation chapter 20, verse 4 talks about that. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Revelation 20, verse 4. Anything else? Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are a holy, just God. You are. God, maybe in our mind many times we look at these things and we wonder. But God, that's because we're sinful. And that's because we don't, our minds are finite. But God, it's amazing. Your grace is amazing that you did send your son. That you made a way. That we don't have to endure any of this. Oh God, please give us a passion. The whole reason why we study this material is to give us a passion for the lost. God, they have to endure this in the tribulation and they have to endure hell on top of this, Lord. It's not your desire. You've called us. You've saved us. You have equipped us. God, let us go out into this community and win the lost so they don't endure this. I ask you to use us in a mighty way, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you.